not Dark Lord days, it's just a dark day. The first ever Crushy Awards are out. What the fuck? Let's dive into the state of barrel-aged beers. This is It's All Beer. Welcome to It's All Beer, where we answer the question, what if God was one of us, just a slob like one of us? The answer is, he'd probably drink craft beer and bitch about it on a podcast. I'm Jeremy Jones. <laughs> I'm Tyler Zimmerman. How you doing, Tyler? Uh, back, at, We took a week off because you had to go to northern Idaho for some odd reason or another. Yep. Went up uh, for my father's uh, birthday, so... I guess that's an acceptable reason to uh, uh, blow off a podcast. Uh, happy yeah. birthday to Tyler's father. And um, uh, I feel like you owe the world an apology for what you un- unleashed upon uh, uh, on the world. What I unleash upon the world? Your father. Your father owes the world an apology. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, probably, but... It's too late now. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. I how how late term of abortion are we? Can we uh, uh, is is legal? Not this late of term. <laughs> Thirty years. All right. Um, <laughs> I'm 28, asshole. <laughs> Near enough, uh, Tyler. What are we drinking today? Uh so I am actually drinking a. Home-brewed Kolsch from uh, one of our family friends up in northern Idaho. So, at my father's birthday, he brought over some uh, home-brewed beers and sent me home with a couple four-packs, so I'm cracked into the Kolsch. Some real northern Idaho uh, 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 backwoods homebrew. And how is it? Not bad. A little malty for what I'd want in a Kolsch. Uh, I think I'm picking up just a little hint of esters, Um, but overall, very drinkable. I probably can't judge. I tried to do a, uh, I wanted to do a Kolsch at the shop for the summer, and I don't know what the fuck happened. Uh, When I kegged it, it was beautiful. By that time, it was carbonated and ready to go on. Uh, It tasted like a Saison. Ooh. I, I don't know if there's some cross-contamination or something, but I would like let people sample it. Like, what do you think of this? Is it just me? And they're like, I don't know. Were you going for a Saison? <laughs> and you're like, well, guess no. it's not just me. No, I wasn't. Um, I got a, a, a new beer. Well, I think it's fairly new from Sierra Nevada. The Dankful, uh, the Dankful IPA. Um, oh, yeah. It's a solid one. I haven't had it yet, but it... It's uh, it's it's a harken back to a, an old West Coast. It has a, like a multi like grapefruity aroma. So, is it a single or a double? It is seven point four ABV, so on the high side of a single. Okay. Um, I mean, it's not. Yeah, it's not quite not quite big enough for a double, but uh, yeah, nice uh. uh Nice, spicy, grapefruity hop flavor. I'm glad that's... You know what I like about it? The color is like is uh, just a a nice golden color. And after so many hazies, um, it's nice to have something that ha- has some bitterness. I was worried yes. that that's where they were going with that. But it's uh, it's quite nice. No, Yeah, I was going to say, I, I really enjoyed that one. For some reason, I thought it was a double when I had it. But I guess I was wrong. 
All right. Well, let's get into it. Uh, well, this is uh, this is uh, uh, the last episode of 2020. I'd like to uh, uh, to throw out there. So yay for that. <laughs> and I think we ended in a tie in our brewery Deadpool unless someone sells out in the last fucking week. If you've been listening for the past year, yeah, in December uh, um, last year, we decided after after 2019 being, 2019 being just this uh, hell brew of, of brewery acquisitions and mergers and whatever the fuck uh, uh, Ballast Point was... Um, we decided to do a a brewery Deadpool to see uh, uh, who else would be bought this year, and uh... <laughs> we're terrible at it. There were actually a few acquisitions. I think it was. I, I think we both have a half a point somewhere on there, but it's uh, it's it's essentially zero to zero. Yeah. So um, basically, if and we did throw it open to anybody, there were no takers, and I guess what I'm saying is that. Uh, you could have beaten us uh, easily. Easily, yes. If you would have had Miller Coors doing anything, that's the weird part. Is that none of us put Miller Coors down on our list, and that was upsetting to me on several levels. Yep. So, uh, yeah, if you would have put Miller Coors, you would have won, and then you could have come on the podcast and told me and Tyler what idiots we are. But no. But no. Now we just have to look like idiots by ourselves. <laughs> so to kick off this uh, uh, final episode of the year, what do you got for us, Tyler? Uh, well, I got to start us off with a little bit of somber news, Jeremy. If I can pull this up. Um, no. <laughs> Please wait while Tyler apparently fails at the internet. Hey, if you guys would have been in our pre-show meeting with Jeremy... Listening, it took him about 15 minutes for him to come up with a four-word fucking headline. <laughs> Those were four very important words, you asshole. <laughs> uh, well, the somber news is 3 Floyd Brewing is closing their Munster, Indiana tap room. Effective December 1st. It's quite sad because I believe that was the only thing in Munster worth seeing. I've been to <laughs> Munster, um, and Munster, Indiana, is exactly what you think Munster, Indiana, would be. I mean, there's <laughs> the only upside is I, I think I did make it through the Three Floyds Tap Room there, and that was uh, that was my uh, that was the one upside about that trip. Yeah. Um, so this is an article by the NWI.com. I'm assuming the Northwest Indiana Times would be my guess, but who knows? Uh, <laughs> so Three Floyds wrote in a letter to investors uh, that as of December twenty or December first, twenty twenty, they have decided to permanently close the Three Floyds Brew Pub. Oh wow, Brew Pub. At least I got uh, all my uh, incompetence out before the show started. I just want to point that out, Tyler. Well, you just passed it on to me. Uh, <laughs> incompetence, like the COVID, is contagious. Uh, it said the decision was not easy for them. Uh, the safety of their customers and staff will always be top priority. So that's part of the reason why they made the decision. Uh, they do plan to continue to brew craft beer. 
that'll be distributed. Uh, they are just closing down the tap room permanently. I did want to make that uh, distinction, yes, is that uh, Three Floyds is not going away, just this uh, satellite tap room, because they are, if I'm not mistaken, actually based out of Indianapolis. You know, I was trying to look in the article, and I couldn't see where... If any, they said if they had another tap room. Uh, I'm pretty sure they have one in Indianapolis too. I'm pretty sure I went there as well. Um, but um, I mean, I would if listen if the COVID kills off three Floyd's, then that might be the worst thing COVID has ever done. I was gonna say. Then yeah, that's yeah. saying something. If I they mean, can, if it, if I still haven't actually had Dark Lord. It is still I, on. My, I haven't either. So it, it is still on my uh, uh, on my bucket list. Uh, had a lot of stuff they uh, they've put out. Um, their gumball head is still the best American wheat beer out there. Period. Mm-hmm. And Zombie Dust is another excellent beer. Um, See, Zombie Dust, I always thought was way overhyped. It's good. I I quite like like it. Um, it's a pale ale that's, you know, I think there are, I think at the time, Zombie Dust, um, it was a bit like Pliny the Elder, right? I mean, it, it, was, yep. it was pioneering the way of these, like, really, really well-blended, hop-forward pale ale. Um, but now there are ones that are equally as good, if not better. So I think Zombie Dust is, I, it's good, but, yeah, it's not that good. Yeah. So they are going to be furloughing 49 workers in the brew pub, eight at its distilleries, uh, and uh, they are still going to continue to sell food and beer uh, on site via curbside pickup. So you could still get. So you, if you are still in Muncie, there is still a reason to live. Yes. <laughs> I do. I can't stress how. Nothing Muncie is. I'm sorry <laughs> to that city and nobody listening to us there. But all right, here's, uh. Mun- here's Muncie, Indiana. All right, close your eyes. Picture the the quintessential boring ass Midwest town, and every town is based off of Muncie, Indiana. <laughs> it is the archetype for fucking serious people live out here. Oh, man. <laughs> Fuck Muncie. Is this what I'm saying? <laughs> Apparently. Uh, but I just thought it was a little bit of sad news when I saw this, um, that someone as big as Three Floyds uh, could have to be shutting down a brew pub because uh, times have gotten this tough uh, this winter with the COVID-19 virus. I, th- I mean, I feel like the, 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 the real tragedy is is that uh, a lot of businesses, I mean, early in the spring, I think a lot of businesses that were going to close anyway just kind of said, well, this seems like a good time to throw in the towel. But um, otherwise, you didn't see as much. I mean, we went over like the Brewers Association numbers that were predicting uh, 50% or something of all breweries closing. Um, back in what April, May, something or other. Um, yeah, and I mean, we 
we talked at we talked at length about what that actually meant. Um, but uh, hitherto, I feel like the the we didn't have to see as much brewery closers. But I think the big tragedy is that here, you know, with the light at the end of the tunnel in sight, you're gonna see a lot of places just simply have to close up because of we're out of money, we're out of time, and they're we we can't get that far. And rents due, yeah. Yeah, rents rents due. We're broke, and so. And at some point, it's just easier to go. You know what? Let's just consolidate everything back down to the main location. Let's just brew from there and run as small of a crew as we can. And come out the other side, and there will be Dark Lord days on. There will be darkness on the other side in the best way possible. <laughs> So, um, another shout out, if you are not, if you do live over there and can easily get your hands on Dark Lord and aren't overly offended by Jeremy shitting on Muncie, Indiana, uh, feel free to send us over a bottle of Dark Lord. Um, I will withdraw my, uh, my complaints about Muncie if I receive a Dark Lord. I will, uh, I will instead glorify Muncie through both song and verse. Oh, I I will hold them to this. So please, <laughs> someone, give us a little brightness out of this episode. So <laughs> it could be. I mean, there's worse places. I got a friend who lives in Kokomo, Indiana, and um, uh, uh, Kokomo is where uh, people who uh, live in Muncie go. You know what? What a shithole. <laughs> oh man. Indiana is just a terrible state. There, I said it. Well, Jeremy, now that we've insulted a whole state again. uh... Where am I at now? I see I've I've offended uh, Indiana and uh, what was the other one? I think I I did one last week. That was a good one. In the southeast somewhere. Oh, yeah. I think I offended. Oh, yeah. That was. I think I just offended the south. Just the south in general. Just the southeast. Yeah. So yeah, um, so I guess uh, tune in, tune in in twenty twenty one, and I'll just hit every state uh, uh, one by one. Uh, coming up, uh, uh, coming up next, Ohio, Ohio. The state motto should be Ohio, meh. <laughs> well, before we keep offending more states, what do you got for us, Jeremy? All right. Well, wait. They have an award for that shit too. News now. Um, talk about your internet rabbit holes. Um, this, this story actually started from a thread on beer Twitter, which then led to an article from Adweek by Doug Zanger and Kyle O'Brien. And then it kind of gets weird from there. Um, craft, the craft beer marketing awards has awarded its first woman of the year award this year to Megan Stone, a brewer at Society Brewing in San Diego. And now probably the defendant in a lawsuit being brought by Stone Brewing. Stone Stone owns all the stones, people. Don't think you can get around this just because your last name. Coke is coming for you, Megan. He's coming for you because it's 2020 and he's got literally nothing else to do. Oh, fuck. <laughs> anyway. Just keep lining them up and knocking them down, Jeremy. <laughs> oh, come on. We've offended Stone together. Don't even... <laughs> Oh, I'm not saying I haven't done my fair share, but you're just on a rampage today. (laughs) Because it's the end of 2020, I'm burning all the bridges. Anyway, 
<laughs> the award was meant to showcase the diversity in brewing, such as it is or isn't. We've talked a lot about that this year. Um, and it shows this Baltimore native who's had an interesting career so far. Uh, she started, as many do in the industry, as a server. In this case, it was at a beer-centric restaurant in her hometown. Uh, she soon moved over to Dogfish Head, uh, where she discovered she had a passion for and a talent for brewing uh, beer as well. Uh, she bounced around craft breweries for a while, uh, doing uh, uh, brewing beer and marketing and consulting for such names as McKellar, uh, Duclaw, and uh, Miss Pillion River. But it was her social media presence that, owned her, that earned her a place at Society Brewing in San Diego. Uh, she has an Instagram following of over 33,000. A couple more than us, you know. Damn! You know, hey, respect, respect, you know. Um, but she uses her platform a lot to talk about racial inequalities uh, 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 and social injustice. And the CBMAs wish to honor her commitment to being uh, a conversation starter as well as her work slinging beer to the masses in this first ever award uh, for a uh, for a, uh, for the mar for woman of the year. And which you might be asking, what the hell is the craft beer marketing awards? Well, don't be afraid if you haven't heard of it, because this is actually for the first year of this as well. Oh, uh, all right. I had to go look this up. Like, I've never even heard of this. Uh, this is their inaugural year. Uh, the award, called the Crushies, is given out to breweries and marketing professionals to celebrate their uh, their efforts to get more people to drink good beer. Um, and, of course, if you are at all in, interested in beer marketing or beer business, which um, I feel like you should be, or this podcast must be a real, real long uh, listen for you. <laughs> All they do is talk about, like, beer news. I don't understand. Maybe one more episode, they'll get good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler but, alert, it never does. Um, but uh, if you uh, go to the craftbeermarketingawards.com and kind of peruse, peruse it, because I spent a good uh, uh, couple of hours last night just kind of going through it. They have awards for tap handles, which I've always, f uh, I've always thought were, like, the one of the... Uh, overlooked really artistic parts of craft beer um, and the mo one of the most expensive fucking things that a brewery doesn't think about when they're getting started absolutely um they are i mean they can be very simple they can be incredible works of art um my current the tap room i'm currently working at uh, has it set up so that we don't use tap handles which on one level i'm deeply thankful for but I do miss, like, unwrapping the box that, you know, they would sometimes send with these and just seeing what, you know, this tap handle or that tap handle looked like. Um, there actually is awards for that as well as can art, bottle art, uh, and just weird shit. Um, so I'm not going to go through the entire thing um, because it's there's 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 like 30 some odd categories. But um, on the subject of tap handles, um Bowie Beer uh, took a Platinum Crushy uh, for their signature red Bowie tap handle. If you've seen them nice. uh, in your travels around, or, or you know the, the the coastal area of Oregon, um, Rogue has quite a few um, awards this year on this. Um, and I've always thought Rogue was known more for their marketing than what's inside the bottle. Usually better. I, that's what I'm saying. That's all they have is marketing. Mm-hmm. Rogue, I'm coming for you too. <laughs> Burn that bridge. 
<laughs> that sriracha beer was fucking terrible, but the bottle looked dope. Uh, they got a they got a gold crushy for their very cool looking bat squatch uh, tap handle. Um, again, cool looking tap handle, eh, mediocre beer. Um, and also a platinum crushy for the design of their twenty two ounce bottle of the Combat Wombat, which again, cool label. Yeah, beer. okay beer. I think I I think I had that and was very like yeah that's 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 a, an IPA that's an IPA. Um, here's one the you might recognize Tyler Snake River Brewing was mentioned. Not a local, but damn close. Um, what were they mentioned for? Um, for their uh, rebranding on their twelve ounce can design. Nice. I I I was thoroughly impressed with their rebrand. So. Um, well, apparently they, they, they impress the, uh, those who hand out the crushies as well. I'm also, actually... I was hoping you were going to say for their under can label print. <laughs> I mean, that was, that's, that's damn brilliant. I first, someone, someone, uh, uh, showed me that I'm like, wow, that's actually, I, the beer is still the same, but that's kind of cool. Oh, and I am such a fidgeter that I pull off basically all the labels and I'll look underneath. So when I saw the map of the Snake River, I was like, that's fucking awesome! This must be uh, this must be the best year of your life then with every brewery uh, uh, relabeling cans. There's just oh, a surprise yeah. there's just a surprise under every can for you right now, isn't there? Oh yeah. <laughs> um, and actually Grand Teton was also mentioned uh, for their brewery rebrand. Um <laughs> Here's nice. Here's just a category I dug: best logo design slash use of an icon or mascot. The platinum crushy went to Bavarian Gator Brewing, whose mascot is a gator with one of those little German hats on, with a little German yes! hat feather on it. <laughs> Fuck yes. Um, they even have a, an award for the, like the be- best beer flight holders. Um. Which was won Ooh, by nice. yeah, which was won by a uh, uh, upshift, uh, and it's the w- they have a picture of it. And I can only describe it as like it's a flight of beer attached to a bike handlebar. You know, you kind of carry it out to the table with that. And actually, I preferred the Gold Crushy from Nostalgia Brewing, who made f- uh, flight holders out of Tinker Toys. Tinker Toys. It was kind of cool looking, yeah. What what the fuck's a Tinker Toy? Oh, for fuck's sakes! You never had Tinker. Um, okay, maybe this is they had Tinker Toys when you were a kid, right? I'm sure they. Oh, those things! Yes, I just didn't know they were called Tinker Toys. <laughs> what did I say? That that did you find out the picture on the website or something? Yeah, I just googled Tinker Toys and it popped up, and I was like, oh. What did you think they were called? I don't fucking know. <laughs> in northern, Idaho. I was a kid when I played with it. So, <laughs> in northern, in northern Idaho is like it's probably considered well not a BB gun, so probably for girls. Um, <laughs> and and no, I, just for commies. <laughs> just for <laughs> and the brewery that just refuses to die, Green Flash, won a gold crushy for their rebranding of the GFB Blondale. I'm not sure Green Flash is still a thing, but they've got a crushy waiting for them. I I think they are, but I think they're only in like San Diego now. 
Well, they got they got a crushy this year. So uh, congratulations, Green Flash, and everybody else. Um, and there you go. If, if uh, uh, for those of you in beer marketing, uh, as Tyler is among them, uh, there's you, you got a special award just for you. Um, nice. Uh, I am sure Blind Tiger Design, the people who did uh, Grand Tetons rebrand, are very happy with that award. I mean, it's you know, I don't know how much uh, weight this really carries at the moment, being the first year. Although, if you actually do get the trophy that uh, that that that's on their website, um, it's it's kind of badass looking. Um, again, it's a it's a platinum gold or black arm, I guess. Uh, you know, a holding a, you know, crushing a beer can. So that's pretty cool it's uh it's rather badass so um and i i i gotta tell you anybody who's uh uh you know into can art or tap uh, or just the weird little pieces and parts of uh of breweries that you really don't think about i mean it's really worth just scrolling through this because there's just some cool there's just some cool shit on here and especially if you work for a brewery um come here steal ideas because that's what i, I was just gonna say that <laughs> No, seriously, come here. I, I'm going to pitch a whole bunch of shit at, uh, at, at, at where I work because, Jesus Christ, there are some good ideas right here. Just ripe for the plucking. Nice. And that was the Crushies? That was the Crushies. You can find them at craftbeermarketingawards.com. Okay. Check it out, peeps. All right. Tyler, what do you got? Well, Jeremy... We're going into the barrels. I mean, I've never left the barrels. It feels like I spent my entire life in the barrel. It's someone else's turn in the barrel. <laughs> well, there's an article on porchdrinking.com. One of my favorite activities, drink beer on a porch. Um, but it is the state of barrel-aged beers in 2020. Um, so for the article, uh, Taylor Labs... Uh, pulled more than 10 breweries uh, that are well-known for their barrel-aged beer programs uh, to try to gather the perspective of the state of the industry and kind of how barrel-aging is doing. Um, so I'm going to ask you the questions, Jeremy. <laughs> Have you answer these questions, and we'll kind of see what it kind of matched up with. All right, fair enough. Let's do this shit. What's your one or two sentence summary of the current state of barrel aged beers? Oh, one or two, one or two sentence statement of the state of barrel aged beers. I would say, um, um, uh, ooh, that's gonna take me a second to th think about. Okay, I'll throw it out here. Let's just say, um, I I miss just a very good. Uh, bourbon barrel aged beer without random shit in it. It they do bring up something similar to that line, actually. Okay, cool. See, I am a trendsetter. I am an influencer. <laughs> so, what is the BA beer style you think will increase in popularity over the next two years? Um, you know what? Um, at least one person in town will agree with me. The one, the one style that 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 has great um uh has great possibilities for being barrel aged um but is not widely explored is saison all um, right 
it's uh, it, it is both a style that historically lends itself to barrel aging. Um, it's so wide a style that you can you can absolutely do anything from a table saison to an imperial saison, and have it work out. And literally anything across the board, it would go well with tequila barrels, bourbon barrels, um, uh, gin barrels, wine barrels. There could be okay. more work done on that front. Now, the flip side, what style is going to decrease in popularity over the next two years? Um, I mean, that, so I think, I, I, I think, uh, uh the, the, you know, Imperial Stouts are probably going to stay where they are. I think some of your, like, um, it, the, I think if there's anything, your barrel age, it's going to go uh, a little bit by the wayside. I'm going to go ahead and say sours because I see, a little bit less interest in like a good uh, true sour and more and more interest in kettle souring, thus, you know, negating the need for a lot of barrel aging. It's funny you brought up kettle sours. <laughs> of course it we'll, is. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll touch back to that in a sec. How? Uh, I, is, what it, barrels it, are becoming easier or harder to source? Um, ooh, let's see. I would actually think that bourbon barrels are getting harder to source, especially uh, barrels from like um, from uh, from names people recognize, because I think they're pretty well snatched up by now. Um, so you're so you know your your well known like really high quality bourbon barrels are probably already off the market. Um, I'm gonna go with like. I would go with uh, I I expect a, a tequila um, would be uh, we'll, we'll we'll you'll see a rise there. Okay, how has customer knowledge of barrel aged beers changed over the past two years? Over the past two years, um, you know I don't think I don't think it's appreciably changed uh, in the past two years, other than greater awareness of the fact they exist. Um, perhaps perhaps a, a little bit more awareness that you can go beyond just bourbon barrel aged imperial stouts, but I don't know if I've seen a lot of increased, like uh, I've, I've not noticed a lot of uh, 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 increased knowledge in the public about specifics uh, regarding the the creation thereof. What BA ingredient variant are you most excited about? <laughs> After I just got done saying that I would really wish I just I just like a nice bourbon barrel aged beer without shit in it. Um <laughs> Oh, uh you know they've some of the I I like the like hints of vanilla or baking spice or your cinnamon or allspice or something uh, can be a nice addition. So if I get excited about, if I get excited about any variants, it's probably uh, have to do with some, some sort of like baking spice or spices in general. Okay. What variant do you, do you think the most overused? Uh, coffee, chocolate. Okay. Uh, and then there was one other question, but it just asked the brewers what beer from their specific portfolio are they most excited about. So we'll 
skip, skip over that, that one because I don't. Well, I mean, I do have a barrel here, and I do home. I do. I do barrel age homebrew, and the answer is the only one I have in the barrel right now, which is yet another incarnation of my uh, imperial stout. But a little bit of history behind this barrel is it's a used bourbon barrel that I uh, aged three beers in. Then I aged some homemade, <clears throat> let's call it lawnmower fuel. And now, then I aged one Imperial Stout, and this is number two. So it's an ongoing project on what, on how much flavor and and what I can extract from a barrel. So, so super excited for, I, I'm always super excited for each next addition uh, to see the next step of this experiment. See, you so didn't think I had you, an answer. You didn't think I had an answer. I do. Are you ready for the... Like five main takeaways they've got. Um, well, I'm sure I'm going to be uh, viewed as not only a visionary, but probably the uh, the. I got my thumb thoroughly on the pulse of uh, of of the public. So yes, I'm I'm anticipating this. This isn't the public. This is brewers. I definitely got my uh, thumb all over them too. So takeaway number one: bourbon right. barrels and whiskey barrels are easier to source right now. But finding the premium barrels are getting increasingly difficult. Boom. Got it. <laughs> you said easier to source tequila, though. Okay, I said easier to source was tequila, but I was half so, right. Half right. Yep, they talk about how it's starting to get to the point you need to have better relationships with barrel brokers, um, be able to get in on that supply chain, and be willing to pay a premium. Um. Suddenly, I want to be a barrel broker. I don't know why, but it just sounds like a it just sounds like a title I want. Uh, the lead brewer of Shafly uh, talked about how he grew up in Louisville. Uh, Fifteen years ago, he could drive straight to the distilleries, come home with a Willette barrel, a Pappy barrel. Uh, but now it's becoming a lot harder. But you can still get some great bourbon barrels from barrel brokers without having to break the bank. And for for the record, when I was in Louisville, they barrel-aged everything. I had a barrel-aged Blondale at an Applebee's that damn near killed me. (laughs) Uh, Anderson Valley said uh, whiskey barrels are getting a little harder to find. uh, But because of their location, wine barrels are pretty easy for them to scoop up. That surprises me because Anderson Valley has an exclusive contract with Wild Turkey. So I figured that if anybody has a has a uh, has a ready a ready source, it'd be Anderson Valley. Yep, but I think it's just getting um, there's more competition, and Wild Turkey starting to realize that. Uh, Firestone Walker's uh, barrel program manager, Eric Pont, said uh, bourbon barrels are getting easier, uh, but the things that are super difficult are scotch, cognac, and mezcal barrels. Uh, And Deschutes weighed in and said the hardest thing they have trouble finding is proper maple syrup barrels. (laughs) I can see that. I mean... That uh, strikes me. Well, strike a couple of things. Number one, they don't. I, I don't see them as being uh, uh, there being a lot of them anyway. 
And with craft beer doing what it's doing, uh, any that appear get snatched up. Yep. Um, so takeaway number two. As brewers embrace new barrels, they add creativity to their offerings. This is where we're getting into every variant known to man. Kinda. Not quite yet. Okay. Um, I'm just ready to bitch about variants. I don't know why <laughs> I'm ready to have this. Because there's another bridge, bridge I want to burn for 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they talked to Central Waters Brewing Company. He said it seems easier to get some other spirit barrels besides bourbon. Uh, talked about the Key Lime Goza aged in tequila barrels and a rum cake porter. Um, so it talks about how breweries are starting to get into tequila, rum, wine barrels. They brought up Lagunitas doing a wine barrel age, um, that debuted in 2020, a farmhouse ale aged in red wine barrels, uh, with a shit ton of bread. And so it's starting to get these different flavors as well as they talk to dogfish about the cocktail inspired beers where you're seeing more and more breweries start to barrel age a beer and be like, hey, we're doing this beer inspired by a Sazerac or a Manhattan or an Old Fashioned and trying to match those flavors. I do like those. Those are I've had a couple of like cocktail-inspired beers, and for all my bitching about variants, those are actually quite good. Most of them are quite good. Yes. A couple of them are So takeaway number three. Familiar adjuncts draw predictable debate. Um, Firestone's Eric Ponce uh, was very bold in his claim on pastry stouts. He says that style will decrease in popularity over the next two years. I mean, how much ultra-sweet beer can a person drink? Have you met an American? <laughs> uh, they are... They are basically blobs that ingest sugar. Yep. Uh, See, I told you another, I hit the entire country at some point in time. Uh, another person said uh, he's predicting people are going to s- slowly tire of, like, the ice cream stouts, like the Neapolitan banana split stouts <laughs> that used to make people just go crazy. They're going to get over it. I, uh, are, those, are those styles typically barrel-aged, those? Because, I mean, I've had... A couple of ice cream stouts to my detriment, and but I didn't know they were often barrel aged. So the, these ones that they're specifically referencing in the article are so like a dessert beer that's been bar- okay. I can see how the yep. Um, I mean the dessert beer thing was kind of a fad, is kind of a fad. I don't know how you want to what what uh, uh, what is the proper tense for that. Yep. Um. So, the two most widely cited ingredient culprits among the brewers were vanilla and coconut. Coconut? Really? Yep. As being overused? Yep. Fair enough. So. Uh, and so. Coconut with- in a couple of things, though. I mean, I guess I don't run into a lot of coconut. Um, barrel aged stout. I get more uh, though. I do quite like coconut. Yep. Um, with this here, uh, I don't see. 
This is where you find out that Tyler doesn't actually read the articles uh, beforehand. He just like he 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 just BSs until he gets to the point. Like, actually, you have to read this. Hold on a second. No, I was trying to see because I didn't ever see where they talked about kind of the like adjuncts they wanted to see. Ah. Oh, which ones? They, oh, which adjuncts are like we want to see more of this, more of this, less of everything else. Yes, they mainly just bash on how everyone uses vanilla and fucking coconut. And well, I think that speaks to the disconnect between brewers versus the public they are brewing for, because most of the brewers I know very much turn up their nose at a lot of things, and then they meekly shuffle back to the uh, to the brew house and brew exactly what they say they hate because the public laps it up like the dogs that they are. Yes and no. I Outside of this year, I have noticed, like, Fremont, for example, where they do all these different variants on the B-Bomb and the Dark Star. I feel the first year they hit, especially the Boise market, it sold like wildfire. Oh, and Jesus, then yeah. the subsequent years, you can still find 2019, like, variant Dark Stars on shelves. Um, uh, that, the, that almost speaks just to the fickleness of the craft beer crowd as much as anything else. Um, and oddly enough, the one that always sold good was the B-Bomb Coconut. Yeah, that one still draw, draws some, although that oddly is one I, I've had a couple of times, not a fan of just cause Jesus H Christ, it's sweet. Yep. Um, uh, so I... With that, I was like, okay, I could see just the plain vanilla. I was like, the coconut kind of threw me off. Uh, but I can see where, like, all these different adjuncts can just bog everyone down and make it to where they don't really care. Well, you uh, miss, I mean, at some point in time, you almost, like, cover up the, the, the barrel aging. Yes. I mean, you don't, but you, you do at some point in time. There's been a couple of those that are... Uh, Fremont, actually, I'm looking in your direction. There's a couple of those that, and actually the coconut bee bomb comes to mind, um, where I'm like, I don't get the barrel anymore. You could have just brewed an Imperial Stout, added a shit ton of coconut extract, and sent it out and and missed the barrel altogether. Yep. Um, so number four, uh, consumer knowledge of barrel-aged beers and its nuances has increased significantly. Well, that'll go to sh- see right. That there's the there's my fingers far away from the pulse jammed right up my own ass. That's a Kevin <laughs> Smith line, Snoogans. Uh, they talked about how uh, Dragon's Milk uh, by New Holland. It's a year-round available flagship bourbon barrel aged beer that has those different variants, and so it really kind of pulled people into the world of barrel aging beers. Makes it easily accessible. People can get their hands on it. That's um, a really nice. Uh, I mean, that is a really nice bourbon barrel aged beer, and it's fun that that there is a brewery that has that as their flagship. And if I'm being honest, they're only good beer. Well, they're the 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 what was it the white the dragons white the white dragons milk or something? Yeah, uh, it's it's, a, it's okay too, but nothing else from New Holland really. You know, I don't think I've had anything from New Holland come from it <laughs> besides so, the fucking dragon's milk. 
So they also talked about how, you know, there's adding new, like, festivals of with barrel-aged beers. Uh, they specifically reference uh, Revolution Brewing out of Chicago Festival of Barrel-Aged Beers. Uh, and the they talked to Marty Scott, the mastermind behind Revolution's barrel program, and he noted why barrel-aged beers are a relatively young phenomenon. Just how many fans know more about the new adjuncts or buzzed about the brewing process that he than he does actually um and they just talking to the fans they'll get in to the nitty-gritty of the barrel aging process really just get down and he said it's almost mind-boggling hmm i guess that does i mean i haven't seen that as much um well i mean i've seen a dramatic increase in people's knowledge of barrel aging if you were to i mean if you were to increase it from two years to five years, then my answer would have been drastically different. Uh, that small a time window, again, I stand by awareness has increased, but I'm not sure general knowledge, but I might be wrong. Yep. <clears throat> Tyler's like, yep, yep, you're wrong. You are. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, I know how much been a big jump. But... I know how much Renee bugs me about barrel-aged beers, and fuck you, Renee. Yeah. <laughs> uh... Now and at this he point, talked, I don't want Renee on this podcast at all. I just want him to be a, like a force. We just like <laughs> this uh, person who may or may not exist. He, they did also bring up, you know, how pe- it's crazy from the brewer's perspective, how people are making all this room for all these crazy beers in this <laughs> fridge and how he'll get in talks about, you know, when's the sweet spot to age it? Uh, when's it going to be too soon? When's it going to be overripe? Uh, and he goes, doesn't matter what you're drinking, just drink it. You won't regret it. And how people have started to realize that aging that beer for longer doesn't necessarily make it better. True. But although the beer geek in me is it makes it different. And that that's mm-hmm. what's important. But I personally think the three-year mark's about perfect. Fair enough. Um, <clears throat> takeaway number five. Lower ABV offerings are on the rise. You know that's that that's interesting because I didn't even think about that, but that kind of makes sense, um, especially uh, um, given the direction craft the, the industry is headed. Yep, um, they talk about how kettle sours are commonplace uh, because of their low ABV uh, and then big fruit usually fruit-filled flavors, um, and, (coughs) sorry, um, just how the kettle sours can pull in wine and spirit drinkers as well, and you're starting to kind of see people barrel-aging kettle sours like that key lime goza aged in a tequila barrel, uh, where it's going to come out at a much lower ABV than that bourbon barrel aged Russian Imperial Stout, but still going to have just as much flavor. You don't need to keep it in the barrel as long as that Imperial Stout. It just needs to touch the wood for a little while. You know, it doesn't yep. have to be a six months to 12 month project. It can probably be done in a couple of months. And also it's coming in at mu- a much lower ABV. Mm-hmm. Um, and they talked to Anderson Valley again, and he said, 
you know, he could 100% see, you know, versions of porters doing lighter porters, lighter stouts. So the, and where you could see it coming out of the barrel at about 5.5 to 8% ABV. So. Rock on. So fun little factoids to kind of wrap up 2020 with some barrel-aged beers. And then, Jeremy, what are you drinking now? I think is how you open another. Uh, yeah, so I went to Silver City's uh, 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 Ride the Spiral. Silver City uh, recently came into town, oh, about a month ago or so, maybe a little bit more. Um, it is a pineapple orange double IPA, and that it pretty much covers the description. It smells like pineapple and orange. It tastes like pineapple orange with a little bit of bitter. Um, it's good, but it's pineapple and orange. Um, but at eight eight percent, it's yeah, got a little bit of a kick. Nice. I've had a couple it. of their beers. Uh, I had their. I want to say it was like a chocolate hef. I've heard so, people t- ask about that. I haven't seen it coming into town yet. Yeah, I was out at Prefunk Nampa, and the rep was out there, and he was sampling them on the chocolate half, and I tried a little. And it was surprisingly good. What do we got next, Jeremy? Tyler, there's something really odd about beer geeks. Well, actually, there's a lot of things odd about them, but, uh, but a few things in particular. Um, one of those is the evolution of the beer geekery in said person. Uh, we usually start the... Uh, it's rumor- the bell curve of beer. It goes from it's all beer up to you get real nerdy in the middle and then back down to fuck it, it's all beer. That's where we came up with a name because I, I I saw Tyler crash land on the other side of that bell curve one day. <laughs> yep. Yeah, no, we, we typically start off with drinking your typical American lagers. Then maybe at some point someone shoves an IPA into your hand, in which case you have begun your journey. <clears throat> I would have said like amber <coughs> then IPA, but... It, it it varies, but uh, you start with sampling a wide range of different styles while gradually working up to the great big special releases. Uh, next thing you know, you're riding all over town uh, trying to find this variant or that variant. Um, somewhere along the line, you start discovering sour beers and bread beers, and which is a whole new rabbit hole. And then there's this moment where you hit the peak and you stumble into your nearest beer bar, half drunk, and order your local craft brewery's version of an American lager. That that pretty much cover it. I, I mean, is that is, first of all? I want to establish: is that a fair assessment of how a person's beer geekery could evolve, or how my life has gone? I was gonna say, are you not the uh, uh, the poster child for that uh, for that very idea? Yep, yeah, yeah, basically, just um, like German Lager, P- check Pilsner, line them up, give me a liter. <laughs> I would, in fact, I, it's my assessment that the whole industry has evolved in that, in the, on those similar lines. I mean, we kind of started off very early um, in the craft beer industry by producing a wide range of good but not terribly interesting styles. Every every brewery had their amber, their porter, two IPAs, a blonde ale, maybe a pale thrown in. And then at some point in time, everybody started buying up all the barrels, right? We just talked about that. Um, yep. And barrel-aged beers became all the rage. Um, and then either on purpose or not, you know, sour beers started coming out. Mm-hmm. 
but and then hazy IPAs and hazy IPAs. But we've but also around the same time, hazy IPAs started being a thing. It was around 2015, 2016, all the way to now. Every brewery, every craft brewery has their version of an American light lager. Mm-hmm. And they're also the ones being the most heavily marketed. So, I mean, I think the industry itself has kind of followed that bell curve. I think the big reason behind that is just the palate fatigue. For all the people that hit, you know, the big West Coast IPAs, then into the barrel-aged stouts and the barrel-aged sours and these big fruit flavorful beers. And then sometimes you just stop and go, I want something that is crisp, refreshing, and I don't have to taste. <laughs> well, that's one theory. Um, Lily Wayett, or Li- Lily Wait, uh, from Wine and, uh, from Wine Enthusiasts, uh, proposed this theory. Um, so we'll we will uh, 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 here's her theory. Let's see how it meshes. Um, and this comes from an article entire, entitled "Does Beer Craft Beer Snobbery Start and End with Loggers?" Uh, the one thing she sh- we should establish is she understands that this is a very American centric progression, but we are talking about American craft beer and American craft beer drinkers mostly. I don't think this applies much beyond that scope, so we can throw all that horse shit out she was talking about. Uh, and by the way, more and more people are being introduced to craft beer right from drinking age. Um, um, now than they were before. And I, I vaguely remember a study from three or four years back saying that something absurd, like like 60% of all college students have never had a Budweiser. Yeah, I think I remember seeing something like that. I'm not sure I buy it then. I'm not sure I buy it now, but I think it's interesting. But I think more and more people are not even making the stop into American lagers first before they go right into craft beer. They're getting indoctrinated pretty much immediately i was more or less you know taken right onto that bus we get it you were a snobby cunt i was a gigantic snobby cunt (laughs) more so now than ever before um (laughs) anyway my point is is her so her argument is that this cycle mimics our own natural progression um as our tastes develop most kids are not really fan of bitter or sour things um, it's an evolutionary thing. Bitter sometimes means poison. Don't eat that. Sour can be a sign of food that's either not ripe or it can either be or, or it could actually be food that's spoiling. Both of those are not great things. But give a kid a handful of sweets and watch that little fucker take off. <laughs> sweets mean calories. Calories evolutionary are a good thing. So come on, tubby lumpkins, eat that sugar. <laughs> And that's why pastry stouts are here. <laughs> that's why pastry stouts are here to stay, despite what Firestone Walker says. But, um, I mean, her argument is that uh, our tastes our taste in beers kind of follow that progression. Lagers are a starting point because they are safe, relatively bland, and unoffensive. And, as we mentioned, this is an American-centric idea. And so, if you live in the United States, um, U.S. food is rather bland and sugar filled um also light beer just is... don't i mean it's got more flavor than the fucking uk but well it's true i mean we get we, we we get our puritan ideas of food from the uh from 
from our uh, our our, uh, our forefathers over the over the ponds, as it were, whose uh, idea of adding flavor was something was to sprinkle it with vinegar. <clears throat> um, but they they stopped short of just adding sugar to everything. Um, and also, I mean, chances are your parents drank. Miller, Coors, Budweiser, and so when you came of age, uh, that's probably what you suck. You went to go seek out. And let's face it; even now, kids ain't standing outside the Circle K asking strangers to buy them a six pack of Craft IPA. You get introduced to you get introduced to something because it's cheap and it'll get you drunk. Fair enough. Um, but now here's where her theory kind of falls short is that it never really explains the progression. You know, I mean, it never, as far as her theory goes, there's no, nothing to explain why after dabbling in the IPAs, your German lagers, your, uh, your stouts, your porters, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Why you progressing into like the barrel age and then sours other than, you know, the fl- flavors are more intense and therefore more gratifying. Uh, she also adds that environmental or social issues happen. I don't know. It's kind of a thing she kind of like touches on. But in the end, she lands on the idea that loggers are just really good. And so that's what one discovers after this journey through craft beer. I also think that people, as they're making that progression, are understanding more about the process of craft beer. And then they learn, oh, loggers are actually very difficult to do correct i mean i think that's you first of all you're you're right i mean that's something you know everyone starts going bud light shit but then you get to a point in your beer nerdery where you stop and go yes it's not the best tasting beer but the fact that they can reproduce that and like what they are doing is just an incredible feat I mean, Bud Light's still garbage, but I respect the fact that it tastes exactly like the same garbage if I bought it here in Boise or if I buy it in Boston or if I buy it in fucking Czechoslovakia uh, where they have to call it Bud because they can't call it Budweiser. Yes. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, to be fair, yes, the, the sheer the, the sheer industrialization of what they accomplished is actually uh, quite amazing. Uh, but you do get a you do do uh, get a especially if you in the get into the the art and craft of brewing beer yourself, you do uh, um, get this appreciation for just how hard it is to make a beer with no flavor. Yes, um, that is. I mean, people are. I I have talked to many friends who've, um, you know, they'll be having a wedding or some event. Hey, hey, Jeremy, you want to brew beer for us? And well, not really. Why not? Uh, because brewing beer takes time, and I want to drink it. What what kind of beer do you want? Oh, nothing hard, just the light lager. Yeah, no. Okay, two things <laughs> that takes months, and no. <laughs> Go buy Bud Light or Coors Lighter. Although I do remember at one homebrew meeting, some uh, a relatively new uh, member came in and he brewed an American light lager and everybody was like really I mean rightfully really impressed because it tasted almost flavor I mean it was a perfect American light lager like nice. right up there with Miller Lite I don't at know at that point I would have been like do it again I mean I say I don't know why you would want to do that but he did it and he did it well um I don't I 
I think some of what she says has truth, but it's ignoring a very major part of of craft beer, which is, I mean, part of it at some point in time, it just becomes the pursuit. And it's this, she kind of gets into the social, there's a social expa- uh, aspect, but um, which is what drives a person to be like, start seeking. I mean, there's, there is a, a, a seek, find and acquire um, uh, uh, thrill, if you will, to craft beer. Um, yes. Part of it is part of it. People do just get a kick uh, uh, trying to track down this, that, or the other thing for a while. I mean, at some point. And then time, going to a party with your friends and being like, look what I got. Let's open this. Yeah. And if they're not craft beer fans, they're going, okay. I mean, for example, you used to do a lot of beer trading. Um, mm-hmm. What, let me ask you, uh, uh, why did you get into it and why do you not do it much? If, or at all anymore. Well, got into it because I was like, I want to try this crazy one-off beer. And then I was like, well, how do I do that? Okay, this is what I got to do. I had access to beer people didn't have access to. People had access to beer I didn't have access to. So it was the natural progression. And then it was always fun being like, hey, we're going to do this little bottle share. Sweet, I'm going to get this crazy, crazy fucking beer that none of these other fuckers can get. And then I'm going to show up and we're going to drink this and have a great time. And then I really stopped because it's fucking expensive. <laughs> the beer itself is not that expensive. It's the shipping cost that's associated on the flip side. And it's never just like you're trading for one bottle. You're like, oh, I'll get a bottle of this, I'll get a bottle of this, I'll do this, I'll do this, and then I'll send you this, and I'll send you that, and I'll send you... And then you got $50 worth of beer, and you're spending $60 in shipping. So let me ask you a question. If it was, if, if shipping were not a thing, let's just say you know, FedEx announced that all beer shipments were free from here on out, would you still be doing beer trading then? Yes and no. Uh, if there was something I really wanted, yes, I would. But I don't know. I, I've, like we said, I've peeked down the other side, and I'm like, well, that I, I'm tired of sitting on beer. I want to just drink something crisp, refreshing, and I want it now. And that is kind of the point I was sort of, kind of like trying to trying to coax out of you was. I mean, I do think that at some point in time. You do get to this point where you're like, I mean, it's interesting. It's fun to try different stuff. But, you know, a barrel-aged Imperial Stout, as much as I like them, you're looking at the same flavor profiles. There's not, there's nobody, you know, coming out with a barrel-aged Imperial Stout that's drastically different from anything else. Some are more chocolatey. Some are more, like, roasty. Some are more caramely. Some have more bourbon. Some have less. Those little nuances are interesting. But at some point in time, you do kind of say, fuck it, it's all beer. And you just start to, I mean, the good thing is you just start to enjoy beer for what it is. A, you know, a a wonderfully refreshing drink uh, that has booze and makes life better. 
And so, I mean, you know, they, the, the joke is that you start with lagers and end with lagers, but there is something sublime about um, uh, a nice, crisp lager that is, you know, especially come, uh, uh, you know, especially for summer for me, it's just, this is super refreshing and it's got just the right amount of bitterness and I can knock back six of these while, uh, instead of uh, doing something I should be doing. Yep. And so... <laughs> You just enjoy beer for what it is, but you also, I mean, but you hit upon it earlier, um, um, uh, which is you, I mean, you, you, you appreciate the process more. You appreciate, you know, what goes into it more. So, um, I guess I want to finish off this, uh, article by saying, all right, you know, we kind of talked about our theory. We kind of, uh, uh, around the edges talked about our theory, her theory. What do you think? Her theory? Yes. No. Yeah, maybe kind of, but... Yeah, I, I think that is on, like, the instinctual level what gets us kind of started there. And then it's that trend kind of like we were talking about. I would say, um, I mean, the... I would say, I'd say the evolution of one's, you know, the... the, the, the the evolution of one's taste, yeah, or somewhat, somewhat, um, you know, related to that. But otherwise, I think this theory is kind of horseshit because it's entirely a phenomenon of the American craft beer scene, um, and just how I mean, because the scene has evolved that direction, people along for the ride are kind of going to evolve the same but way, and and so um, I think it's less a, I think it's less of a a uh, a she almost makes it seem like an anatomical or genetic thing. I think it's the culture. Um, and as you get swept away in the culture, you, you know, uh, you, you, you start by finding that there's a bunch of beers. You start by finding out that, Oh, there are these really special release beers. There are these super rare. You can't find them anywhere. Beers. Oh my God. There are these beers you have to trade for. And at some point in time, you just get to a point like, I just want a beer. <laughs> yeah. I, just I want, want a to, beer without the work. <laughs> I just want to drink this and feel better about life. <laughs> and then you have achieved beervana. Beervana. <laughs> uh. That's my that that's my theory. I don't know. What I think you're pretty spot on with that. Though. All right, so. Uh... I guess I can. So, uh, why? As most, as as in most things, um, the wine person has made this uh, more complicated than it needs to be. In the <laughs> bin, Tyler, you got one more thing for us today. I do a nice little fun, happy holiday story. Um, Which Jeremy's all dearly favorite right brewery, uh, Budweiser, <laughs> will put your dog on a can of their holiday beer. Um. So, Budweiser tweeted out the other day uh, <laughs> that we've teamed up with at Dog Rates to put your pups on our holiday buds this in this thread. Um, so they tweeted out, if you tweet back to them, uh, you can potentially get uh, the picture of your dog on one of their festive red and green cans. Uh, you just have to reply to the thread with a photo of your pep and a hashtag pupwiser. Um, and if they decide they will put the, if they pick 
your dog, they'll put the dog's face on the can and send you a can with your dog on it. Just one can. You get a can of Budweiser. As far as I know, it's just a can. That's shit. They could at least send you a six-pack for fuck's sakes. <laughs> Fucking Budweiser. Uh, you can't spare a six-pack. Who has a Budweiser? Nobody in the world has ever had a Budweiser. No one in the history of the world has drank one Budweiser and said, that it was sufficient. I am good now. Uh, Fuck, you're trying to get drunk for as cheap as possible. You need at least a 12-pack. Come on! But... Uh, the thread has some very cute dog pictures on it, and uh, they'll tw- usually tweet back to the picture of the dog with it, like, mocked up on the can, and some funny, uh, some funny, like, response to it. Like, there's one that go a uh, girl tweeted to them, you know, use this dog, and it was a little puppy, and they go, there's no way this pup is 21. <laughs> <laughs> Even in dog years, huh? Yep. Uh, so it's uh, if you're looking for something to brighten your mood, because I've never seen a sad person looking at pictures of puppies. The question, though, is Tyler, did you send Thor's picture in to be put on a can? And if uh, not, we are probably going to try just to see if I get a picture of Thor on. Uh, a Budweiser can, I'm going to die. I mean, so, I mean, you have to tweet this, right? Yes, I'll probably have Christina tweet out to them. Well, let me know when you do that, and we'll, like, retweet it on It's All Beer, because that will definitely help your chances. Um, perfect. The podcast <laughs> that shits on them all the time. <laughs> that would be perfect, because I've been waiting for that cease and desist from Budweiser since pretty much episode one, when we began this podcast, because of their feud with Miller Coors. I would love them, like, some fucking intern to have to go through our archives going, oh, shit balls. Uh, do I tell them? <laughs> <laughs> Also retweet it with Emo Budweiser. and <laughs> I haven't posted on Emo Budweiser actually this year, which is it's 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 a failing on my part because um, this uh, year was the Emo, emo Budweiser this year. This was the year of Emo Budweiser, and I was t- I think I was too emo to even be emo. But so uh, the for those of you who uh, are unaware, have not listened to every episode of this podcast, uh, first of all, you absolutely should. And second of all, uh, for a time, I ran basically a, a uh, I still do, actually. I just don't post on it. I have a Twitter account that I basically use to troll Budweiser, and I called it Emo Budweiser as my, you know, it's inspired by Nihilist Arby's. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I... I haven't posted on it for years, but every once in a while I get a wild hair at my ass. I'm like, let's just annoy someone in the Budweiser marketing department. Uh. Well, anything else, Jeremy? Or I don't think so. Tyler, you got anything to add? Nope, that's it for me. All right. Well, this has been It's All Beer for 2020. As always, uh, you can get a hold of us uh, if you ha- if you find a- an article you want us to talk about or just want to. You know, speak to us for whatever reason. Uh, you can use our email address at is at it's all beer at gmail.com. That was harder to get out than I thought it would be. Uh, we put all the stories that we use to uh, uh, to produce this podcast on our Twitter account. That is at it's all beer one. 
Um, we have an Instagram account where we put some pictures of beer up every once in a while. And every and when I get a wild hair up my ass, I uh, uh, put some pictures of uh, some random stuff. Might put some of the pictures of the uh, of the craft beer awards uh, if I get that super into it th uh, tonight when I'm editing. And if you were on Facebook and all that shit, you can leave us a review, probably iTunes, Stitcher, or on Facebook. Um, let us know how we've done the past couple of years, um, or you can just tell uh, Tyler that he's an asshole, or tell me that I'm an asshole for insulting your state. Um, if you're in Indiana and listening to this, and you've got a... If you're in a state that is in the <laughs> Union... I'm prepping myself to move to New Zealand. That seems the correct thing to do in this day and age. <laughs> and if I have to be driven out, so be it. Anyway, I think that'll be all from us. Signing off for this uh, accursed year of 2020. I'm Jeremy Jones. I'm Tyler Zimmerman. Uh, Happy New Year. Merry fucking Christmas. We'll see you fuckers back in 2021. Hopefully a better year. Uh, we'll be back uh, probably the second week of January. Until then, I'm going to drink all the beer. Have fun.